You're listening to Tone Benders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Tim, and I will be your host today. Joining me today on the line is Midge Costin, who holds the K. Rose Endowed Chair in the Art of Sound Editing at USC School of Cinematic Arts. She's a Golden Reel winning film sound editor with films like Crimson Tide, Armageddon, Days of Thunder. She's a past board member of the Motion Picture Sound Editors, and she lectures internationally on the transformative power of sound. She's also recently directed the amazing documentary Making Waves, all about the job that we all do, post-production sound. I was just finishing at USC Cinema, and Gary Kurtz, who had represented George Lucas, came down to school looking for a student interested in sound who they could mold into their own ways. I went out to the studio and met with the two of them. They outlined the film they were going to make. They had artwork on the walls done by Ralph McQuarrie, concept art for the film. I was astounded by what I saw. This was a film I always wanted to work on. This had spaceships and monsters and weapons like lightsabers. It was called Star Wars. The film currently has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I've seen it. I really liked it. Welcome to the show, Midge. It seems like you were put on this planet to make this film. (laughs) I love that. Thank you, Tim. It's really nice to be here. I feel that way because, you know, I started out not liking Sound of Film School, not getting the story part, the character part, you know, and I thought it was just technical and something you had to do, like, you know, a necessary evil at the end of a film. <laughs> and then I came out of film school and I wanted to be an editor and I had my thesis film left to do, so all my classes were done. So I did apprentice, assistant editing. And then um, my friend, uh, Dan Hageman, called up and, and uh, was a sound editor at that time and said, Midge, no, none of the union guys will touch 16 millimeter. Come in and I'll show you how to cut effects. And that's how it all started. And then in a short period of time, I got it. Like on that show, I was the only effect editor. So it's like, oh, my God, how do I set mood and tone? How do I reflect character? How do I, you know, how do I do these things? Plot points. And so... And one job led to another, and then it was like, man, I was a born-again sound person. I was like, woohoo! I loved it. And um, I've never lost the enthusiasm. I'm so passionate about it. Well, as I mentioned, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Every review that I've read about it, it just loves it. Vanity Fair's got a really ringing endorsement of it. It's going to be coming out soon to a, I don't know, for a documentary, a pretty wide release. When did you come up with the idea for this? How long was it since you first started thinking about this germ of an idea until now where you're screening it? Oh, my God. I started in the early 2000s. And when I started to research it, like 2002, uh, what I realized is that there was no such thing as fair use where I could use, you know, copyrighted material. And I knew it had to be clip heavy. Like we really needed to show and play things so people could hear it. And a friend of mine was doing the editor's version, the cutting edge. And um, she said it took her two years to get the clip rights. And I thought that's not filmmaking. I don't want to do it. So I put it aside. And then in 2010, Bobette Buster, my producing partner approached me and she had met Gary Rydstrom up at Pixar at the time and asked him, why isn't a film like this done? And would he be a consultant if she got into doing it? And he said, 
if you got Midge Costin involved, um, I would be involved. And that started the whole thing in 2010. So it took us nine years to do. So why was Gary Rydstrom so eager to put his faith in you as long as you were a part of the project? We knew each other from the institute, but we knew each other from USC too. Like he would come and give lectures. And so he knew that I was teaching. And what happens is um, that you, it gives you perspective, you know, when you when you start to teach. And my uh, my first love might even be teaching. I started sw- teaching swimming lessons when I was in the eighth grade, all the way through college. And um, I just love to teach because I love to pass on something that I love. And I feel like I get to teach people to listen and to appreciate their sense of hearing and sound. And I mean, I just feel so fortunate that I have this career. And I love films and love filmmaking. And, and that's why I think Gary knew you know, that I worked on serious sound films but that, and had a career in that, but, um, but also that I taught. It's really great to see these people, many of whom have been on this podcast uh, over the years, uh, up on the big screen getting the star treatment. When you were asking people to be a part of it, obviously lots of people, like you mentioned, Gary, you already had a relationship with. Was there anyone that you sought out that you didn't already know for it? Some people I didn't know personally, but I, there was like one step away from someone I always knew, you know, like I knew Gary. Um, I also knew Ben Burke. He used to come to school, Walter Murch. And, and, but the thing is that, you know, the community, sound community is so close that if they, you know, we kind of knew of each other possibly, you know, people say, oh, how hard is it to get the directors? But you know what? It was through the sound people mostly, and they, you know, love their sound you know, designers and supervising sound editors and they're real collaborators with these directors. And and so they were happy to do it. They were actually really happy to do it. Yeah, I didn't even mention that whole element. There's a lot of, I was going to say A-list, but the even beyond A-list, like top, top, top directors of the last 20 to 30 years are pretty much all representative. It's, it's quite a uh, star-studded display there. How did you come up with the kind of structure that you use for it? Is it something that you've been lecturing on over the years and you kind of transported that into a script? Really, the last half hour is how I, you know, break down sound, production sound, you know, recording, dialogue editing, ADR, all of those like that I do. But I didn't know the history at all. So that was all stuff that we researched. And then Walter Murch, Gary Rydstrom, and and Ben Burt are real historians, too, of sound and, and other people. So... It was so hard to structure, Tam, because one of the things is that we've got history, but how do you hook people at the beginning? So, because you can't start off with silent movies and make it that interesting about sound, you know, although it kind of is. <laughs> um, so what we did is that whole, that whole beginning of, like, you see who the directors are and who the sound people are going to be. And then, you know, a quick intro to Saving Private Ryan so that you could kind of break down one of a more contemporary type of film so you'd see kind of what the style of the, the what it was going to be like. And I have to give a lot of credit to my editors, um, my producing partners, Bobette Buster and Karen Johnson, and I got together with our editor, uh, David Turner, which is so funny because he was my student at the time when we started. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, and, um, and, and then we just got together and we just like had all these boards in a, in a room, you know, these erase boards and, and these big pads of paper. And we just, this whole structure. In the last two years, we brought on the supervising editor, Tom Miller, who's a documentary filmmaker in his own right, and also a documentary editor, uh, picture editor. And uh, he's a good friend. I teach with him at USC. And he was great because we had these beautiful big scenes, like Saving Private Ryan was much bigger, you know, and and uh, the river runs through it and Star Wars. And 
So we did these beautiful long scenes, and then, of course, we had to break them up, you know, because I knew I wanted to make a 90-minute movie, and that's what I feel like is the human attention span, and I thought it, you know, it just won't sustain more than that. So that was the tricky part, getting a lot in, you know, in 90 minutes, not being too technical, but technical enough that you understood. The film is, there's more to it than just this, but loosely structured around the careers of Walter Murch, Ben Burt and Gary Rydstrom. Those are kind of your entry points into uh, how you get from place to place. <laughs> was that your original intent or is that just how it kind of turned out? Yeah, we knew that those were really important people. We kind of, you know, Randy Tom is another, we could have been like a fourth person. Um, and it was really the stories. One of the things that I loved is the childhood stuff from Walter, but also Ben. And then Richard Anderson was his buddy at school and that whole them making films together and they're actually in them that's hysterical we that gets lots of laughs and um and it's so interesting to see you know so they had Ben and and Walter had actually pictures of themselves and had things that they projects that they worked on it was really interesting about you could see why they're you know kind of moving the whole sound the, the art form forward they did so much of it in their childhoods really and they're super smart you know they're really bright all three of them so who of your interview subjects were you most surprised by who kind of gave you the most unexpected gold the surprising things for me were Walter and George Lucas direct THX 1138, which he had done as a student film, and Walter had written it, and then now they're doing it as a feature, and it totally bombs and blows it, blows it at the box office that Francis Ford Coppola has to pay them back. Uh, he has to go to work and do this movie that he says 12 other directors turned down, you know, this sleazy gangster picture, and it ends up being the godfather. Holy moly, that's crazy. Really, the biggest surprise might be, because it was a surprise to her, Barbara Streisand. She had no idea that she is part of sound history in the movies. And what happened was Dolby was just in music, you know, it was a stereo and noise reduction. So it was Yoan Allen, who's the senior VP. I'm sure he's made it because he came up with the idea, why don't we get into the movies? And Ray said, oh, you could go check it out. So he goes and to all the studios, and they said, ah, it sounds good, but we don't really need that. Because why? The studios didn't want to spend the money it would take to, to transfer over to this Dario from Mono. You know, so they were saying no all the way along until Barbara Streisand is doing The Star is Born. Barbara Streisand said, oh, yes, we want this. Thinking it was just an option already, she said, oh, no, we want this. And because she was making so much money and was so popular, making so much money for the studios, they decided, all right, we'll get into Dolby. We'll get into stereo. And um, she had no idea that she she just thought it was an option. So she loved the fact that uh, that was brought to her attention. It's pretty cool because, like, now, obviously, with Atmos, we've got a million speakers all around. The idea to think that it took, like, a star to push the studio to get all the way to stereo. I know. It's pretty uh, pretty, pretty crazy. All the way along, even, even back with 1933, King Kong, Murray Spivak, they had to hide him in the music department, probably because the producers would say, oh, don't bother with all that. And, like, we still face that today, you know, where you don't get enough time, you don't get, you know, the lead time, and then, you know, you're not on it long enough, and the, everything's always, you know, condensed. Maybe they're at the end of the budget in post-production anyway. You know, it's just like, damn. <laughs> As a director and producer now, did you give your audio post team enough time? Oh, that was hysterical. Um, no, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> 
So what was your favorite thing that you regret taking out? Was there some story in there that you really liked, but you just ended up having to kill at the last minute? Almost all of the movies that we talk about, there was a longer version. And um, like Saving Private Ryan, there was Richard Hims, who I just love. Um, his father was a bombardier in the in the um, in the World War Two, and and so it <laughs> makes me cry thinking about it. Um, he said his father wouldn't talk about it. He said when he when they spotted the picture with Steven Spielberg, he went out to his. It was so emotional for him that he went out to his car, to his trunk, and got his gym towel and just cried for like ten minutes. And it was like, oh my god, because his father wouldn't talk about the war. And um, it just really got him, you know. And then the same thing, uh, Gwen Whittle was also in the scene, too. And she talked about the scene she had to do, you know, with um, kind of hand-to-hand combat, you know. And just, it was just so emotional. So they'd, they'd get really emotional when they were talking about it. And you'd see how much you can get pulled into scenes. And so that was, and also River Runs Through It, the same thing. I mean, Chris Boyd, you know, he, he gets emotional, but... It was really a beautiful thing with more people. Gary was in it and um, Robert Redford, too, just talking about, you know, what that kind of meant, you know, um, the fishing and the fathers and out in nature. And, um, you know, so there were just some beautiful things that we, we, when you have more time, you know, but it just didn't work as far as it would have been way too long, a movie. Well, there's always extra features on the uh, Blu-ray release, eh? That's right. Yeah. Sure. So as a first-time director, did you take anything that you learned when you were doing sound editing from working with previous directors to bring to this project? Well, I'm not sure you mean this, but this is what I feel like what I've learned is that you always want to be a collaborator and you want people to, you know, take your word in something that you know, like my career was in sound. It's like when directors, you know, don't listen to their sound people when you're not collaborating. So I have to say what really helped me was my director of photography was my, one of my best friends and we, she shot my thesis film and I met her in film school and she, her whole career was being a DP of docs. Right. And so on the set, she had my back and she was there and I could just talk to her and I trusted her. And the same thing with Dave Turner, who is our editor, and then the visual effects people, you know, to just really collaborate and be open to ideas. I mean, I think that the working in sound, it was like that allowed me to ask for help and take people's advice. And I think that that, that was really helpful. Well, I can give you uh, what I think is a kind of the best ringing endorsement you can get for this film. Uh, You were kind enough to send us a copy of the film ahead of time before we did this interview. And I went into my studio, lit up the big speakers, and started watching it. And the studio is in the basement of my house. Uh, And halfway, not even halfway through, 10 minutes into the film, my wife, who was upstairs, came downstairs and just kind of stood by the doorway to see what I was watching. Uh And then she took a couple feet into the doorway. (laughs) And then the next thing you know, she's sitting on the couch at the back of the room. And then the next thing you know, the credits are rolling and she watched the entire film. Like, it sucked her right in. Oh, I love it. I'm your target audience. Like, I'm obviously going to see this film. Right. She is not your target audience, but you drew her right in. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. We keep hearing that. I mean, I can't tell you. It's so fun to be going around the world and people seeing it. And it's like, 
you know, it's old people and young people and people in film and people who aren't in film, and, and it's like they'll come up. And, and sometimes people, like young women going into film, I've had them come up just like in tears. Thanks to you, it's like it's so sweet, you know, because we show like a lot of women working in film who do work in film, and it's just been like so satisfying in that way. And now I have a lot of confidence in the film because it's just like seems to be, you know, proving itself and you know, I think people see the title and they don't get it, but if you, when you see it, it, it's so much more. You know, it's entertaining. It's got personal stories. We're telling the history through very personal stories. It's, I think it's really interesting his, history. I love the films. People love the films that we see. You know, they're kind of favorites or just like classics that you just want to see. And so it's, it's entertaining. It's interesting. It's funny. It's, you know, and it's got great... It's, it's like a great cast, you know, and you can't believe it unless you see it. And so what, I'm, what I feel like I'm spending all my time on is just making sure it gets out there, go to Q&A, just, you know, have as many screenings as we possibly can so that, um, because it's word of mouth and people just seem, it's, it's uplifting too. It's an uplifting film. For sure. It's a, it's a film that uh, makes you leave with a smile on your face, which isn't something a lot of films do these days, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. You're all the way on the other side of the ocean, so I really appreciate you making the time. And uh, everybody that's listening, if you uh, have the film playing in your town, go see it because it's worth the experience. So thank you very much. Great, thank you. And it, it is going to roll out to like 100 cities possibly, so you know, watch for it. And go to our, you can go to our website, makingwavesmovie.com, and, um, and it will show you where it's going to play. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Thumbbenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. 